Amen. Well, the scripture I got when I was praying for this service was Psalm 717, and it says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. And before we go into this next song, the name of this song is Noel, and the meaning of Noel is shout for joy. And as we lift up our praise this morning, let's just shout for joy, for the Lord has come and rescued us. Amen.
Jesus came to the earth. Amen. God is good. And we're going to continue worshiping, but we have a baptism. And so you can, can, you can sit down or stand. We're so excited about this. Please say your name and why you're getting baptized. My name is Blake Pugh, and I'm getting baptized to be obedient to the Lord. Amen. Blake, we are proud of you. Super proud of you. And just 
as a reminder, anybody in here that's never gotten baptized, it is an act of obedience. So you can call the church office and we can set that up. But let's extend a hand to Blake. Lord, we thank you for Blake. We thank you for his obedience to you. Lord, right now we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled. Amen. Can we give it up for the Lord? Amen. Amen. Right now, during the middle of our worship service, we're going to have a time for to pray with you for anything that you have need of. We're going to have our prayer team come forward. But I was feeling that you needed to understand Chris, the Christmas story is really a love story. It's about a heavenly father that sent his only son so he could have relationship with you and me. And we want to pray with you this morning. And we want you to know that you are loved by a good father. And we want you to know that he wants to cause you to have peace, enjoy this Christmas season, and to let go of all of the stress, the worries, the anxieties, all of those things, the fears that are trying to come on you during this Christmas season so that you can experience his love. So we're calling our ministry team down forward and anything you have need of, we're going to believe in for miracles this morning, miracles of healing, of deliverance, miracles of the peace of God coming and ruling and reigning in our hearts. Let's stand up and continue to worship.
Just let that be your prayer this morning. Our city, our state, our nation, our world needs more of Jesus. Amen. We need a move of God's spirit and awakening. So as we sing that, let that be your prayer, oh God. We need your revival. Holy Spirit, sing this song this morning. I give you all my worship, Lord. And I give you all my worship. I 
Somebody give him some praise this morning. Well, we bless your name. We serve a mighty God. Amen. Well, why don't you turn around to two or three people and tell them how happy you are to see them this morning. And we'll come let us Welcome to Church on the Rock, and Merry Christmas! We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the connect room where you'll receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Sunday school now for eight to two years. The places that we go are low-income housing. Some of the kids look like they're well taken care of, but the majority of them, uh, they will come out there. There will be a seven-year-old come out there with their one-and-a-half-year-old brother or sister. There's not a lot of care there. We do this every year because my hope is that these kids are going to look back and think, about it. They're going to think about this whole situation and the people that cared enough to come out there and make a difference in their life. Come like grace again Even when my strength is thirst I'll praise you
There will be no service Wednesday, December 23rd. Join us for our annual Christmas Eve service, December 24th, from 6 to 7 p.m. We have broken the $350,000 mark in our Imagine More campaign. Our first goal is to raise $1 million before we break ground in the spring. Join us by making a pledge and placing a nail in our Imagine More board in the lobby so we can see this dream become a reality. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. This is my favorite kind of service I get to dedicate a baby. Whoops. I got, to I got to hold him about an hour at a Christmas party the other day. He told me it was the nicest time he'd had in a long, long time. <laughs> now, you, it, is it just possible that Facebook is going to start charging because your mommy posts so many pictures of you? <laughs> it's possible. Tell everybody hello out there. Jacob, tell us who this little guy is and your wife. Yeah, we got a big variety. Um, we got grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, nephews, cousins, nieces, uh, pretty much everything. Amen. So. And, and this is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and this is Levi. So he's just over three months old. Well, he's a cutie. He told me he'd like for y'all to start coming to church here regularly, too. Yeah. He really likes having y'all with him here. You know... A baby dedication is really a parent dedication. It's a family dedication. It's a church family dedication. Because kids need all the help they can get in today's world. We can't count on our schools any longer, particularly our public schools, to show us a biblical worldview to help us understand God's role in creation and nature and life, even morality and ethics and character. But you know what? If a kid's being raised in a world where mom and dad love each other and they love Christ and, and, and wherever they go they hear prayer and they're encouraged on the right way when they come to Sunday school you know what kids can grow up strong and healthy and be a part of the solution in America not a part of the problem so we're going to dedicate this little guy but we're also going to dedicate ourselves to live afresh for the Lord today and always be a godly example well we bless little Levi today we thank you Lord for that he's a part of this world we thank you, Lord, that uh, he's one that carries answers he'll have for the problems of the world. Lord, we want to thank you that uh, you've placed him in a godly home with godly family. And we pray, Lord, too, that uh, you would help this little boy as he grows up. Let him avoid so many childhood maladies, Lord. Just keep acts of violence away from him. Lord, I pray that he would live a long and prosperous life and he would serve you all his days. I just pray, Lord, that good things are going to follow this family, and you're going to do us good all the days of our life. And we bless little Levi today in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Give this family a big hand. God bless you guys. God bless you. Amen. Is God not good? Amen. Man, we serve a good God. It just feels good to be at church with everybody worshiping the King of Kings and Lords of Lord. Lords. Amen. Man, we are so glad you're here. If you saw the video a while ago, we're so happy to announce that we broke the $350,000 barrier yes, for Imagine More. Amen? Yes. We're so excited. We believe the Lord's going to do some amazing things through Imagine More. Our plan is to break ground in the spring. Uh, we're still looking to raise in total about a million dollars before we break ground. So continue to pray. If you want to give, there's Imagine More cards in the seat back right in front of you. You can do that every single week. Amen? 
Amen. And I wanted to mention that this week we are not having a Wednesday night service, but we are having a Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. Now, the best way to celebrate Christmas is to put God first and to come celebrate His birth with your church family. Bring all your family. It's a one-hour service. We will serve communion. We will have candlelight, but it really won't be candles. Pastor Mike is always innovative, and it'll be fun. And we will sing Christmas carols, and we will worship our Savior. So I want to invite you out uh, Thursday night at 6 o'clock for one hour. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's offering time. And this is a great verse I was reading just a few days ago. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at two verses, starting with verse 10. And it's on the screen. It says this, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's a great verse. Let me say this last part one more time. You will be enriched to be generous. In other words, you are blessed by God so you can be generous to people around you. That's why God blesses us, not so just we can hold everything in, but so we can be a blessing to his kingdom, to our community, to people around us. And I was just thinking about this today. We have a very blessed church. Amen. God has blessed this church so much. And I think one of the reasons that he's blessed this church is because we're a generous church. We're a church that gives. You out here sitting down are people that give, people that make an investment into the kingdom of God. And you saw this video, but I was so touched by it. Every single week, Pastor Mike and Ms. Sharon and Bethany and their team, they go to different apartment complexes and they reach out to kids that may or may not get Jesus fed into them every single week. And you saw a bunch of people out there helping them. You saw probably 120 to 150 kids this week in those two apartment complexes get a Christmas present. They talked about Jesus. They sang uh, happy birthday to Jesus. But that's all because people gave. And you saw a bunch of them, but you didn't see a lot of people wrapping presents and passing out cupcakes and different things. I'm telling you, it takes a lot of people to do that. And when we are a blessing, God continues to bless us. Something else awesome that happened yesterday too as well, right? Yes. So I just want to start Wednesday night. My office was piled high almost to the ceiling, and I'm being literal, and all the hallways were filled with gifts. And I started to walk down that hallway and started saying, Santa Claus is coming. And then I went, no, Church on the Rock is coming to town. Hey, we did a mama store for 16 almost all but homeless moms and their children. And yesterday we had a huge turnout of workers and we ministered to those mamas and those children, gave everyone a coat and a pair of shoes and a wrapped gift. And it was incredible. And all I can say is wow, Church on the Rock. You blessed our community this year at Christmas time. Your generosity, your giving, whether it was to the sidewalk Sunday school, to the nursing home, to these moms, giving coats out to the homeless, you are an incredible church, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all you did, and we had a great time yesterday. Thank you to all my volunteers and all of that gave. Amen. And we want to encourage you. You know, God blesses us so much every single day, and that blessing again is to be generous to people around us. It's to give our tithes and offerings to bless the community, to give something that's going to have an eternal value. Amen. 
And I'm telling you, the things that happen with those kids that happen at that mama store, that's an eternal value. So let's make a declaration as we end 2015 and go into 2016 that we do things that matter for the kingdom. Amen? God bless you as you give. you this morning. Come on, pray with me just a moment. And Lord, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being good to us. Come on, just say that. Lord, thank you for being good to me. Clothes on my back, roof over my head, food to eat, people that love me. Lord, we love you today. And we just want to say this morning, we welcome your presence in our midst. Nothing spooky, weird, but the reality that God is near. I pray, Lord, that as we open the Bible, its words would leap off the pages and you'd speak to us all in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, tell your neighbor, Merry Christmas, and you may be seated. Well, Matthew chapter 1 is where we're headed this morning, but I want to embarrass my son. He's here this morning. He and his wife, where is he? John, won't you stand up? You and Brittany, go ahead and just stand up here. They've been, this is John and Brittany. They've been married about six months. And uh, they see, I like to hold babies, so praise the Lord. Well, we, we were able to find something incredible. We were able to find some video footage of the manger in which Jesus was born and find some old interviews that were done 2,000 years ago. And <laughs> look, I... I understand the first service was tired, but you guys need to be awake. Take a peek at this. And we forget sometimes that the Bible is a historical document. 
And let's kind of crawl into the minds and hearts of what some of the early people that actually saw Christ and were there around his birth, what they might have felt. We're going to look real quickly at Simeon, uh, the Magi, uh, the innkeeper, and Mary. Take a peek, and I think you'll enjoy this. For me, it was living proof that God keeps His promises. I had waited a lifetime for the hope of the world to arrive, and just when it seemed that the prophecy would die along with me, I heard the cry of salvation coming from, from an obscure little town. The only thing more powerful than expectant hope is fulfilled hope. It gave me permission to die in peace, but more importantly, it gave people everywhere the possibility to live with peace. He served as the pathway to wisdom and knowledge. Some have called us wise men. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The king used us like puppets to carry out his devious plans. Yet in the midst of our blindness, God gave us a beacon of light, a heavenly compass that pointed us towards an incomparable gift containing the depths of God's riches. To think that we brought him gifts seems so laughable now. He was the gift to us. He was the reassurance that God could still use anyone. As an innkeeper, I had welcomed many weary travelers before, but none as tired as that young couple. With no room to offer, I was ready to send them on their way when I noticed the woman was close to giving birth. I offered them the only place I had, a manger. It seemed like such a trivial act at the time, but I soon realized that I had played a part in something much bigger than myself. God had chosen me to. He was the answer to every question I had ever asked. Why me? How could this happen, you know? What will people think? My journey began with confusion and, and fear. But slowly, with each passing day, I, I came to see the beauty and the blessing of God's presence as my son grew inside of me. It was a strange mixture of human limits and divine love, culminating in that one moment when I saw his face for the first time and I realized God was with us. Well, the Christmas story. Yeah, well, give the Lord a hand. That's right. These Christmas saints sharing about God's love to the world, the birth of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about some Christmas saints. You remember? We talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. We talked about Simeon. We talked about Anna. 
And what I call Christmas saints, they all shared something in common. They were all recorded in the historical narratives of Matthew and Luke. They were there at the time surrounding Christ's birth, but they shared something in common is all of them faced things in life that didn't make sense, but they still were faithful to serve God. This morning, let's begin Matthew chapter 1, Matthew's version of the Christmas story, a bit shorter than Luke's. Matthew's audience was Jews primarily, and it has that flavor. But let's talk about this historical account of the first Christmas. And I say that word clearly because we sometimes gloss over the fact that the Bible is not just the revelation of God to man, but it's a history of mankind. I mean, we don't, we don't question Julius Caesar. We don't question, you know, the, Napoleon, the wars of Napoleon, Alexander the Great. But if you look back in antiquity, manuscripts that support those events are perhaps, you know, let's say that tall. The Bible, on the other hand, manuscripts that support the Bible, some 15,000. And it's a matter of history. And let's take a peek this morning. Matthew 1, verse 1, it begins with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Think of Ancestry.com. A genealogy, by definition, is, is simply uh, a recording of the ancestors. He goes on to say, Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. These are the father, Jacob was the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. In verse 16, Jacob the father of Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. In verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, they came together, but before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as they considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before, he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Webster's first dictionary tells us that Christmas, a Latin term, Christ Mass, Mass remembering the Catholic expression of worship, so Christmas is literally the worship of Christ. Christ is the uh, Hebrew word for Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And Christmas is a time to worship Him. In our world today, you see, there's a deliberate attempt. We like Christmas. Well, you don't, in, even in our world today, we don't want to call them Christmas trees. We even don't want kids uh, using red and green in school, but red and green has nothing to do with the Christmas story that we've just read. This tree doesn't have anything to do with it. But there's an animosity in the world towards anything which is Christ. But we gather today humbling ourselves, believing and acknowledging that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. Come on. His is the greatest story ever told. And this morning we proudly say Merry Christmas because Christ is born. Let's explore it together. I've entitled this message, The Greatest Story Ever Told. 
You've heard this passage read perhaps dozens of times, but I want to go back and visit some portions and find some lessons for us. As I read the Bible, I don't read simply for historical fact, though I'm looking for it. I'm looking for theology. I'm not just looking for a sermon, but I'm, I'm looking for how the Bible might speak to me. I'm looking to see how the ways of God in days of old might be transferred to today. and The object of my faith may lay hold of this. And I want to begin first with the significance of a genealogy. If we could take just a moment, if you know your Bibles, you know it was a passage about that long. It was 42 different generations mentioned there. Uh, Luke's gospel also has genealogies. Luke's actually starts back with Adam, he's mentioned, uh, Jesus being the Son of God. Uh, Matthew 1, though, let's look at the passage again. The book of this genealogy, which is the lineage of a person from their ancestors, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, in my own life, I, I don't know much about my past. My grandma, my, actually a great aunt several years ago before she died, did a genealogy that took us back to the 1800s. But I'm really only acquainted with about four generations my great-grandfather, his name was John Miller. Uh, he moved from Wisconsin. He moved to the Memphis area. Uh, he was a dairy farmer by trade. He was pretty good at it, so they hired him to come down and oversee a number of farms in the Memphis area, in the North Mississippi area. But his grave is by, I think it's Interstate 55 in Memphis. There's a huge cemetery. It's near an elk there, John Miller. I knew his son, my grandfather, John Henry Miller I, he was a great guy. He was my buddy, my friend. He loved me. Of course, my dad's the second. I'm the third. My son is the fourth. His son will be the fifth. Now, come on. You can't stop after four generations. Come on. Everybody agree? All right. We'll leave the date up to y'all, but, but the name's kind of... That's pretty much what I know. But this genealogy takes us back 42, 42 generations. Now, that's big, and it is written to the Jews. Notice what it said. He was the son of David. David was the first legitimate or godly king Israel knew. He was the one that led the nation to the apex of her kingdom in the, in the ancient world. He was described as a man after God's own heart. Jesus would descend from him, or the Messiah, the Hebrew Messiah, the one that would come to save the world, the son of Abraham. Abraham is a figure that both Jews, Christians, and Muslims look back towards as a historical figure uh, in, in, uh, in terms of, of the, 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 the uh, key figures that gave birth to faith. But in verse 16 is where we're going to focus. It, notice it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, of Jesus was born, who's called Christ. Now, there's five, other men, five women mentioned in the genealogy, and most of the genealogy says so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. But in Jesus' case, it said Jacob was Joseph's father, he was Mary's husband, and from Mary, Jesus was born, underscoring the immaculate conception or the fact that he was born from a virgin, that his birth was supernatural, that though there was not a physical act of intercourse, God touched the womb of Mary and somehow the Christ child, the seed of the Christ child, was implanted in her womb and he grew to be fully God and fully man. He was fully man so he could identify with our sins. He was fully God so he could be the perfect, acceptable sacrifice on behalf of our sins. But ancient genealogy is very important. They were meticulously maintained because they were the basis of property ownership, inheritances, jobs, and all these different things. But those are facts. 
But the lesson that I gain from this as I read this is overwhelming. It is that God is in control of the affairs of humanity. Let me say it again. God, the master planner, able somehow to, to, to uh, go 42 generations until he ended up at the preferred place so a child would be born that would be the legitimate Messiah of the Jewish people. Listen, how many know the world is in great, great trouble, but God's got the world in his hands? And if God can orchestrate the affairs of people to bring his son into this world, I can have confidence that God can orchestrate the affairs around me, come on, to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. The Bible underscores this, Daniel 4 to Nebuchadnezzar. It says the most high rules in the kingdom of men. That God is ultimately in charge of world rulers. Proverbs 21 says the heart of the king is like a stream of water. Both are under the Lord's control. Both are under the Lord's control, and God's able to turn them in any direction He chooses. So when I look at evil in the world, when I look at troubling things in the world, I know, listen, there's a, there's a root of evil. Satan is behind it, but God ultimately is the one that calls the shots. And God is ultimately the one bringing world history to a climax. I watched with anger, dismay, and some degree of disappointment this week as our Congress passed this huge omnibus bill, which is a a spending bill for the next year. And everything that I was promised politically, none of it happened. I looked at a bill and some of the most tragic things I saw, our nation has come under the, has been exposed to the behind the scenes of Planned Parenthood through videos this past year, and we saw the, it's almost like they were trading body parts, like you might sell some old tennis shoes on eBay. Uh, Even this week we read in the state of Ohio, there's a lawsuit between them and Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood was putting aborted children in in what what would amount to a cooker and and make sure these children were disposed of properly and dump them in the city dump. I mean, it's horrendous, but our own government funds them to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year. We're a lawless nation. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm the grandson of an immigrant. My grandparents immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. But our nation had an ordered immigration system, as it does today, that we don't enforce. But we just gave hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to bringing in people that aren't assimilating in our culture that could possibly be terrorists that somehow violate the laws. And you just see like our nation's deteriorating at the seams. Nothing said of religious freedom in America today as we see increasingly the Christian religion coming under attack. As I look around the world and I see these things going on, this is not about Democrats and Republicans and independents. This is about what's right and what's wrong. Are you with me today? It is wrong for a government to obligate the future generations with money that can never be repaid. It is wrong for a government to act in ways that it does. It is irresponsible. And as I look at these things, there's something that makes me want to withdraw. It makes me want to become a prepper or so many things. But you know what? When I read the genealogy and I see that God is the one that's ultimately in control of the affairs of mankind, I can trust that God is going to have the last say with this thing. I can trust that God is still in control and I'm his son. Come on he's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of you. And we're going to see his glory fill the earth. Come on. Because the heart of world leaders are in the hand of our God. That's the first thing I learned from this genealogy of the Christmas story. Let me give you another one. Verse 2. Verse 18. This, is, this is, inspires me. This point, I'll say it this way, is that God uses devout, righteous people to do great things. What do I mean by that? In your heart and my heart, there's a desire that my life would make a difference. 
We try to find, you know, if, if, if we post a Facebook video and it goes viral, we feels like people know us. You know, if, if, if a street's named after us or, or if our name is, is on, a, on, on, on a currency, they're talking about placing a woman on, the, on a $10 bill, who might that be? And, and we're kind of remembered. We want our life to matter. But for Christians, we see that God will use those who are devoted to Him and who are living a righteous life. Not a perfect life. How I many know our righteousness comes from God? The Bible says my righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, I might do good works in his name, but in, in, according to the Bible, the righteousness of God in Christ is imputed to us when we believe in Christ and our sins are forgiven. But notice verse 18. Jesus' mother Mary was betrothed or engaged to Joseph. That engagement in biblical times was very similar to a, a, a real marriage. If you wanted to break the engagement, you had to go through a legal civil process. Uh, but notice it said they came together. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked a bit about Joseph last week, how he must felt when his girlfriend said, Hey, babe, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and, and, and his first thought was probably not that, Well, I'm sure the Lord did this thing. I mean, it was a difficult time. He was going to divorce her. The Bible said, though, in verse 19, her husband Joseph being a just man. A just man interesting. That word just, it means a righteous man, a man living according to God's law. And unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. I suggest to you Joseph was used by God in a great fashion just as Mary because God saw something about their hearts. He saw a devotion. He saw a righteousness. Like the saints, Christmas, Christian saint, Christmas saints we talked about last week. You remember Zachariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents? It was said in Luke chapter 1 that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in his commandments. Simeon, the man depicted in the video, this man was righteous and devout. Waiting for the consolation of Israel, the coming of the Messiah, he was able to hold the baby Jesus in his arms. Verse uh, 36, Anna the prophetess, her husband died when she was married seven years. She never remarried. She was a widow until she was 84. But the Bible says she never left the temple, but she stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So what am I saying? The key people that surround the Christmas story were not the religious people, were not the people that were in the temple, but it was people, it was people that were clearly living a life, come on, that had the heart, that had the character, that had the devotion to God that got God's attention. Now, when I read that, I don't just think like, well, good for them. I think maybe there's application for me. Maybe if I live my life, not just as a Sunday Christian, but if I endeavor to live for Christ seven days a week, if I endeavor to be a person of character, and when I do wrong, I ask for God's forgiveness, and I go to the people who I've wronged, and I ask for their forgiveness. I endeavor to be a person of prayer. I read my Bible. I endeavor to bring God's kingdom into the earth. I use my resources as God's. Maybe I would get God's attention too, and maybe God might use me, come on, to do something that matters in this world. My mind is particularly, I'm particularly intrigued by a Christian football coach in Bremerton, Washington, Maybe you've heard his story. It's been in the news. Uh, but this man, for the last couple of years, after the football game was over, he would go to the 50-yard line by himself, unpretentious, making no show, but just going to the 50-yard line and taking a quick drop on his knee. 
like a T-bow lift to heaven with a finger. And he would say, thank you, Lord, for watching over us tonight. Thank you for the game. Thank you for blah, blah, blah. But he pray- and before he knew it, his team members on their own, unsolicited, were beginning to join him. The kids were joining him. Before they know it, members of the opposing team were coming to the center, and they were beginning to pray. But all of a sudden, the powers that be in this world of political correctness said, you can't do that because of separation of church and state. By the way, it's in the Constitution. Can I tell you, by the way, they're lying. It is one of the greatest uh, 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 reversals of history that's been imposed on modern society. Uh, it originated in a phrase from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association of Churches guaranteeing that the state would not interfere in the church. And it was in the mid-1800s, mid-1843, well, I think, that the Supreme Court reinterpreted that to mean that there's a wall of separation that divides church from state. Modern America has come to the place where it's okay to have your religion in your church, but don't take it outside the walls of the church. I say it's time for Christians to stand up. And maybe, maybe just like this football coach, he was told he couldn't pray. They, he's on administrative leave, so he sits in the stands, and he prays in the stands, and people gather around him. He could lose his job, but he also may not just lose his job. You know what could happen? It could be that a revival breaks out in Bremerton, Washington. It could be that the people of God begin to stand up and something supernatural spills across, the, spills across American shores. How many know we need a revival in America? We need an awakening. We need a return to righteousness. Our solution is not just more money. Come on, our solution is not just border fences. Our solution is not just more spending in education, producing more and more children across America who can't read their diplomas. We need a return to righteousness in America. And the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And it could be that men like this coach in Bremerton, it could be like people like you and people like me. Come on, the cheerleader on the football squad, the third baseman on the high school baseball team, one of the workers at Cooper Tire, a hospital worker. It could be that God could use people just like you and just like me to bring his kingdom here to the earth. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. That's what I get out of the Christmas story. And without a doubt, here's the most profound thing, verse 20. It tells us what Christmas really is and the purpose behind it. Christmas is a great boom to the American economy. We have fun with it. Retailers are putting up Christmas uh, decorations and songs right after sometimes even even, uh, uh, Halloween. But it's a different reason. Notice verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, Joseph, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. This is just before he's thinking about divorcing her. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. How many know just because I can't understand something doesn't make it true? How many know just because science can't explain to me how something can happen or science says something is impossible? How many know with God nothing is impossible? And if God wants to make a woman pregnant without a man's Influence, how many know he can do it without in vitro fertilization? How many know if God wants to make a man... Pr- no, no, that would... Because then every family would only have one child and that wouldn't be any good there. It'd be so much pain. Where were we? Oh, verse 21. She will bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. Now think of this, save his people from something. Save a Savior. Has anyone ever been drowning and someone rescued you? Let me see your hand. Yeah, we had a lot last night. Yeah, it's a terrible feeling. 
My, one of my kids, I don't know if it was my son John or my daughter Bethany, but uh, they were in a pool swimming, and I think they're there. Which one was it? Oh, it was John. And it was in, we lived in California. Were we in California? Wherever we were, it doesn't matter. But anyway, I guess his little floaties came off, and all of a sudden he went underwater. And Mom didn't take her watch off. She didn't worry about her leather shoes. She just goes right in the water for her baby, and he gets up just, you know, spitting water and all that. Well, guess what? That child needed a Savior. He'd have been dead. People all the time get lost. You see search and rescue being called out. Maybe it's some teenagers that are, uh, that are, that, that are in the hiking in Arkansas and they didn't know that a cold front was coming through and, and, and the temperatures were going to drop and they'd get hypothermia and they're lost. And, and people will spend all night. They'll have helicopters. They'll have dogs. Search and rescue is after them because they know if they don't reach them in time, they're going to die. What, what do they need? They need a Savior. What, what do you think firemen are? They're saviors. They go into burning houses, and, 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 and they don't just go to rescue the fine china. How many know they go to rescue people? That's right. See, that's why God gave us insurance companies. They can give us some more fine china. Are you with me today? But, but, but people have value to them. Well, in the same way, if Jesus came to rescue me from my sins, how many know there's something terrible on the other side of sin? Yes, sir. And how many know it only takes one sin to make a sinner? You may be a really good sinner like Mother Teresa who's going to be made a saint by the Catholic Church. Or you may be a pretty lousy sinner and is in jail right now for multiple homicides or whatever the case is. But how many know, my friends, sin is sin and it only takes one sin to make a sinner. And the Bible teaches, and I want you to listen to me today because you won't hear this in a public school today. You won't hear this on the shows that are popular today. But the Bible teaches that one day all of humanity that's ever lived on this earth, from Adam all the way to the last human being born, one day this earth will cease as we know it. And one day all men and women will stand before God. And the Bible says God will divide that massive group of people as God divides she, as a shepherd divides sheep and goats. And, ha, and a portion of that crowd will be able to go to heaven, and a portion of that crowd will go to a real place called hell. The Bible talks about a book of life, and he talks about other books that records the deeds and thoughts human beings have that are against God, that are against a holy God. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And tragically, it says the wages of sin is death. But then it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus is to a sinner what the lifeguard is to a drowning person. Jesus is to a sinner what the, what the search and rescue team with the dogs are to the kids that are lost in the mountains of Arkansas. He came to rescue us from our sins. My friend, he came to give us his righteousness if we would simply believe in him and follow him. And that's what Christmas is about, friend. That's why we celebrate. Come on, not just parades. I, listen, I have fun with Christmas trees and presents and Santa and all that. But the reason we celebrate Christmas is because God took on human flesh. And he came to live among us. He came with the, with the blood of Adam and Adam's sin. But he came with the seed from God and Mary. And he came to give his life, come on, so we could have eternal life. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what makes Christmas merry. Let me read you this last one, and this is, to me, the most exciting part of this, of this passage. It's verse 22. Fulfilled prophecy validates Christianity in the Bible. Now, what you think about this? Verse 22. All this took place, all this happened around the first Christmas, 
around Jesus coming from the tribe of David, uh, around Jesus being a descendant of Abraham, a virgin giving birth to a child. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And when you read that, you need to figure out who was the prophet and when was it said. It was said by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Christ was even born. If you can imagine, if we were, could go back in time and we're the pilgrims, we've survived that first winter, we've offered the second Thanksgiving, truly uh, uh, set aside time to give thanks to God, not just celebrate with our friends, but to give thanks to God. Can you imagine if one of the pilgrims stood up and said, as I was sleeping last night, I had a dream. In a dream, I saw something that looked like a stick. And you could speak into that stick, and that stick would make loud, loud noises. I saw something that looked like a box and had glass on the outside. And little children were taking this box, and they were talking to their family that lived across the nation on the other side of the great sea. This box also had pictures with it. This box had little funny-looking little people on it. And these children would waste hours and hours and hours of time on these little devices. I saw something I didn't know what it was. There were mile after mile after mile of hardened rock. And there was something that was round that had tires. And these people would go wherever they wanted to on it. And they would put some kind of liquid inside it. They would have put that guy in the funny farm. They would have put that guy in the nut house because he saw something in the future. Well, that's what a prophet was able to do. A biblical prophet is able to see something in the future, and then it happens. 700 years, about twice as long as since America has, was founded as a nation, one of the greatest proofs that the Bible and Christianity is real is fulfilled prophecy. I get intimidated sometimes by people in the world, professor types, very intelligent people, they can go into these great, great theories of how life evolved on the earth. I did a radio spot one time. I quoted an evangelist, Ray Comfort, who said that atheists believe that uh, nothing created everything. And I got a response. It was a, it was a professing atheist, very intelligent individual, very kind correspondence. But he basically said that I was wrong, that they don't believe nothing created everything, that an atheist believes that in his case, he believes that there was a, a, a giant star that was dying. And this star, when it died and exploded, it had the elements of, of, of life, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and life was produced from this. And in my little naive, little uninformed preacher way, I said, well, where did that star come from? And he said, we're not going to talk about that. That's a regressive argument, and, and, and that we're not going to talk. Okay. I mean, no, you don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to have the intelligence of a brain surgeon to understand the simplicity that there is a God. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. How can clouds go from California all the way to Maine and be full of water but never fall to the ground because they're so heavy? And how can the cycle repeat itself? How can all these things happen? One of the greatest ways, my friend, to convince the most ardent atheist or, the, or a professor that there is a God in the Bible is true is fulfill biblical prophecy. Now listen, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. 
It, picks, it tells us the town where Jesus would be born, the town called Bethlehem. You're small among the clans of Judah, a small city, but out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, even from ancient times, or from the days of eternity. Some 700 years before Christ was born, a city was picked. Isaiah said a virgin would bring, bear a son. Isaiah also said that to us a child, think about this, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. The government of the world to whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He goes on to say he is the mighty God. Who would have thought to call a child mighty God? Who would have thought to call a child Prince of Peace? One that not only calms like a sedative, but one that brings peace between God and man. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, remember the genealogy? On the throne of David and over his kingdom will stand forever. You say, well, okay. What does that mean to me? There's a professor, Peter Stoner of Westmont College. And he did a statistical study of the odds of fulfilling only eight biblical prophecies. Jesus had literally dozens upon dozens that there's no ambiguity that it referred to Christ. There are prophecies that predicted his death. There are prophecies that predicted the betrayal of Judas for a handful of silver. There's prophecies that predicted that Jesus' garment would not be torn by the Roman soldiers. On and on and on. If you took only eight of those and asked this professor, said, what, what are the odds of a man fulfilling that prophecy being random? I want you to, if I can liken it this way. If I were to take this thing of candy here, maybe there's a hundred now, but when your children leave, it won't have any in it. Um, if I were to take one of these pieces of candy and I were to write $5 million on it and bury it in here and say, you got one pick, you're going to blindfold yourself, but if you're able to pick this out, you'll get $5 million. Now, come on, you'll buy chances at a lottery when, when, when you know, a one in a million, come on, one in 10 million a winning, and we lose money virtually every time we go to the boats, come on. That, that's not a joke. I mean, that's just kind of a fact. The house always wins. But this guy said the odds of one person fulfilling only eight biblical prophecies over these hundreds of years were 1 and 10 to the 17th, which means nothing to me, just a bunch of zeros. But here's how he likened it. This a college professor. He said, imagine you had a silver dollar, and imagine you hid that silver dollar somewhere in the state of Texas. But there's two feet deep of silver dollars all over the state of Texas. Imagine just in this room if there were two feet of silver dollars and you were standing out in the hall and said, I want you to go in that room and you got one pick and I want you to pick the one silver dollar with the red X on it. And you're blindfolded. But can you imagine the whole state of Texas? Eight to ten hours to drive each way, two feet deep of silver dollars everywhere, and you're supposed to pick it one time and pick the right one. That's the odds of Jesus or anyone fulfilling eight prophecies over hundreds of years in the way that Jesus did. And I suggest to you, friend, there's a loud message that must resonate not only with our heart but with our mind is God is in control. Come on with the affairs of this life. And Jesus is who he said he is. He is the living son of God. Listen, this passage, you say, well, how do I know that's true? How do you even know the Bible's true, preacher? 1948, there was a shepherd boy. 
He was throwing rocks as boys do in the Judean area in the hillside and he threw a rock and it went in a cave and it made a noise. He'd broken a pot, this clay pot and people were called in, they went to study it and they found what was called the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of the scrolls found in 1948 was the book of Isaiah and it was hundreds of years older than any other manuscript of Isaiah we had but it was virtually identical telling us very clearly that the book of Isaiah that you hold in your hand today, come on, is the book that was, or is very near the book that was written by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years ago. Listen, you can trust your Bible and you can trust your God. Listen, if a prophet could predict the virgin birth 700 years ago, how many know we can believe that there's nothing impossible with God today? That no matter how dark life gets, no matter what the doctor, the banker, or anyone else says, or the lawyer, how many know God is still God? Come on. And he's the one that's on the throne. How many know we can have peace because God holds the future in his hands? And how many know if the scripture says his name is Emmanuel and it is God with us, how many know that no matter what we face, no matter where we go, no matter where the future holds, how many know Jesus is always with me? And he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, but he's with me to the end of the age. Come on, give him a big hand today. Why don't you stand to your feet with me, and I want to close this message with the last verse, verse 24. Joseph woke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he didn't know her intimately until she'd given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus was on one hand a common name to identify with you and I. On the other hand, it was a royal name, meaning Savior. Christ is not his last name, but Christ means Messiah. It is the Hebrew word for the deliverer of the world, the Savior of all mankind. And Christmas is a celebration of his birth. And we join in this Christmas celebration, just like the angels of old on Christmas Eve, when they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom he was well pleased. His name is Jesus, friend. He's no longer a little baby, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day he's coming back to this earth to take us for his own. How many know he is worthy of all our praise? Give him a big hand today. We're going to close with a prayer and a song, and pardon my voice, and uh, then we'll be about our Christmas day, Christmas season. But I want to ask you this question. What are you going to give Jesus for Christmas? Now, every child knows you leave Santa milk and cookies, but what do you, leave, what do you give Jesus? You see, under my tree, I hope there's some presents with my name on it. John's name's on it, Mason's name's on it, Linnell and Brittany and all of us, Bethany, Rebecca. But what are we going to give Jesus? I suggest to you the greatest gift you can give the Lord is the same thing those Christmas saints gave, a commitment to live a life devoted to Him and a commitment to be a righteous person, a commitment to be the person He created us to be live for him with all our days could we just kind of hold our hands like this if you'd like to do that just symbolizing Lord we want to give you our heart and I don't mean the physical organ that pumps blood but I mean our will our dreams our ambition our desires and we want to live a devout life because we believe Jesus was the Savior of the world 
and we want our life to make a difference. Just close your eyes a moment and think on that as we have one as we sing. I see many searching for answers far and wide over I know we're all searching It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Well, Lord, today we're making a choice to let Christ be our Lord. We're making a choice today that we want to commit ourselves afresh to a righteous life a devout life, a committed life. And we pray that you would use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Hey, before we go, we want to offer one last opportunity for prayer. And there's a couple things that I, I know that in every service, it just seems like the Holy Spirit takes like a, like, a, like a shovel and just kind of digs around in our hearts. And maybe there's something that the Lord has unearthed and you want somebody to pray with you about. We'd be honored to pray for anything. But I want to pray especially for those of us that have struggles at Christmas. You know, you're supposed to be happy and joyful in San and Els, but how many know a lot of people put their head on their pillow and they cry because we feel alone because somebody's not there? We want to pray that Jesus would be more real to you this Christmas than you've ever known. I want to pray for those of you, too, that, that have conflict with family. Families are supposed to get along and be loving, but sometimes the least favorite day of the year is when you go to your ex's house, come on, to get your kids because they've got custody and you're supposed to smile, but it's hard to smile. It's just conflict sometimes around Christmas. It could be uh, your sister of your childhood and you're estranged from and it's awkward. How many know God can help us be a light and an answer to these kind of struggles? So if you'd like prayer for this, let us take a moment and pray for you. The most important thing we'd like to pray for today is your spiritual life. When we talked about Jesus as the Savior, how many know what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago when he died in our place as a substitute for sin? How many know that was enough for the whole human race? But his death alone doesn't make him our Savior. We have to invite him in our heart. The Bible says we have to receive him as our Savior. I was thankfully, my mom raised me in church, but it didn't take. Not her fault, not the church's fault. But when I was 19, my heart realized I need God in my life. And I prayed a prayer as a young boy, 19 years of age, in a Navy boot camp, asked for God's forgiveness and committed my life to Christ. And I can tell you, it changed everything about me. I received Him as my Savior. And then maybe that's what you need today. You need a spiritual rebirth. We'd be honored to pray for you. So as we begin to, this, they're going to sing this last song and then dismiss. Our prayer team is coming to the front. If you want prayer for anything, you come. If you want to commit your life to Christ today, I'll stand by the, by the uh, cross over here. I want you to come and join us. And uh, let's pray this evening. Sing one last song. Come join us if you're committing your life to Christ or for prayer, and someone will meet you here. You are perfect in all your ways. Come, let us pray for you today. You are perfect in all your ways.
It's who I am. It's who I am. 